Okay. So we're going to continue um, our look at, at Jesus' teaching on our treasure. Right? We started that last week, started talking about our treasure. And uh, when we talk about treasure, what are we meaning? Last week we talked about our treasure represents our, our earthly possessions, right? These things that we accumulate and amass this side of eternity. And these are things that only benefit us while we're here, right? We can't take it there. And so these are the things that God allows us to have and blesses us with for our life here on earth, right? And so we talked about those treasures, and this passage is kind of broken up into three different parts. Jesus kind of gives us a look at three different ways that we view our treasures, right? And he does this by showing us two different perspectives. Last week he said, don't store up for yourself treasures where? On earth, right? But store them up where? In heaven, right? Two different perspectives. We have an earthly perspective or a heavenly perspective. And of course we learned last week that the emphasis uh, on their treasures is not so much where we store them. That's important. But what we realized from what Jesus was saying last week was really, what are we storing? What is the treasure that we're storing up, right? And, and so um, our stuff, and I've referred to our, our earthly treasure as stuff a lot, and I'll continue to, because, and it's not so much that you'll understand that, but I have to be reminded that Everything that I have, as great as it is and as appreciative as I am of it, is stuff. Because you know why I have to be reminded of that? Because I want to make it more than stuff. I want to find my value in it. I want to put more emphasis on it than it truly should have. And so I have to say that our treasures on earth are stuff. And that stuff does not make the trip to the next life, right? It dies when we die. We talked about Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Hopefully some of you guys went home and read that. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it says, There is a grave evil under the sun. A man works hard and accumulates wealth for someone else to enjoy it. That's what happens. That's ultimately what happens with our stuff. Is someone else spends it, either through kids or grandkids or the government or whatever, right? And so we can't take it with us. So... Our pursuit shouldn't be on this temporal stuff, right? Our treasure shouldn't be this stuff that dies when we die. Rather, Jesus was showing us what's the true treasure. You know, I am the treasure that you should store up. Because here's the thing. I'm in heaven, seated at the right hand of my Father. I am firmly established. I'm not going to move. And if you pursue me, you will gain me. That's what he's saying. This treasure that moth can't eat, Rust can't destroy and thieves can't take away. Jesus is that treasure. Everything we need is bound up in Jesus. What does that look like? Well, it takes a lifetime to see. But Jesus is satisfactory for every need that we have. And so, because of that, these tangible earthly treasures that we do amass are meant to be used to further reflect Him. Every penny that we have is meant to bring Him glory. Not only the money that we have, but man, the faith that He gives us. You know, faith is a gift. And the Bible talks about how we spend that faith. And the way that we exercise that faith is a representation of who that faith is in. Right? And so if Jesus is our treasure, then the acts of faith and the material goods and the good deeds are all going to be to what? Make Him look greater. And so that's the purpose 
of storing up our treasures. It's giving up those things that we know won't last for eternity for the things that will never go away. Anybody ever heard of uh, Jim Elliott? He's a missionary. He uh, gave his life on the mission field, was killed by some Indians in South America. Here's, here's what he's quoted as saying. This is a, a brilliant quote. I want you to think about it. He says, He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Amen. Let me read that again because I really want you to think about that quote because that epitomizes what Jesus is talking about here with our treasure. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Mm-hmm. You're not a fool to say, you know what? As great as that stuff is, it's stuff. And we lay that down, whatever that looks like, in order to pick up and gain that which we will never lose, who is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's so countercultural, isn't it? Yeah. It goes against everything that we hear, everything that we're pushed to do and be. But this is Jesus talking to us here. And so tonight, Jesus is going to continue to talk about our treasures by, by showing us two different ways that we look at our treasures, right? And then we're going to end by talking about the two masters that we will serve. And so this is leading into next week where we'll begin to talk about our anxiety concerning our treasures. I can't wait to preach next week about our anxieties concerning our treasures. You yeah. said that last week. What? And <laughs> you can't wait to preach this week about what treasures in heaven. So is there a pattern? You're, there's a pattern you're noticing, right? Can't wait to preach. So, um, so come back. And it's a teaser, man. You got to come back. Got to come back to hear it. So as we get into Matthew chapter 6, I want to start with a passage of Scripture in Proverbs. So if you have your Bible, go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Because this, this proverb here that we're going to talk about helps us with our train of thought as we get into what Jesus is talking about here. This is an important passage that goes along with Matthew chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 3, two verses, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what King Solomon says about our wealth and the purpose of our wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I want to go through and I want to explain these two verses in pretty good depth because if we don't understand what he's saying here, we're not going to have the proper perspective about our, our treasures, okay? So let's kind of talk about what Solomon's saying. The first word I want you to look at is honor. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth. This word honor is the Hebrew word kabed, which literally means weighty, to be weighty or to be heavy. So when he's saying honor the Lord and and honor means weight, what is he saying? How how then should we look at the Lord? What should we do? Honor, we should place heavy emphasis on whom? The Lord. Honor the Lord. Right? We could exchange this word honor for glory. Mm-hmm. Give glory to the Lord. How? With your wealth. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? How do we give glory to the Lord? The next word, our wealth. The Hebrew word hon, H-O-N. Very simple. It just basically means sufficiency. Now when we hear the word wealth today, what do we think of? Money. 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 But what? A, a good amount of money, right? I don't consider myself wealthy. I am, but I don't consider myself wealthy. Why? Because I don't have the most. 
right? I'm not in that top 1%. And so here's the thing. When we hear the word wealth today, we think about being rich. The Bible doesn't speak of wealth that way. This word just means sufficiency, enough. So, so I want you to, to get this. This means just everything that God has given us to live, not excess, right? Not over and above, but what? The provisions we have for today. The sufficiency that God has given us. Now, how many of us, when we look at giving, do we give out of our sufficiency or do we give out of our excess? Excess. Well, so, so think about this. We, we, we look at this passage of Scripture and Solomon says, give glory or honor to the Lord by our wealth, not our excess, but with every bit of what we have. Everything that He has given us, He has given to us for a purpose. And that purpose is to do what? Honor Him. So that's what Solomon's saying. So here's the next thing we've got to look at. Next word, first fruits. First fruits refers to both the best and the first. It's the best of what you have right off the top. It's not giving everything else out, giving everything else out, and then whatever's left, we'll say, well, the Lord can have 10% of that or whatever. First fruit is the first, and it is the best. In the Old Testament Jewish culture, it was the best animals or the best produce. Solomon actually talks about that, of all your produce. And so this indicates that there is at least a certain amount that is to be designated for the Lord, right? We call it a tithe. The Bible calls it a tithe, 10%. We know that our obligation as God's people is to commit at least 10% to the kingdom, right? Okay. Now, so here's what we, here's what we have. So honor means glory, right? And a way we honor God is by taking our provisions and our material things and giving the first and best part of those things to God. We honor God by giving back to Him a part of the treasure He's given us. That's what He's saying. You know what that is? Worship. That is worship. Worship's not just standing up and singing a song. Worship is anything you do that shows the worth and glory of God. And so when we give our money, when we tithe, it's an act of worship. You know what the Bible says about worship? It shouldn't be begrudging. It shouldn't be compulsive. It shouldn't be under obligation. When we worship, we're to worship freely with joy. Man, it makes you think about how we tithe, right? How we give. So here's what we have. This is an if-then statement. Proverbs 3, if we do these things, right, if we honor the Lord with our wealth and with the first fruits of all our produce, then, right, we have a then, here's what happens. If we honor God, then our barns will be filled with plenty and our vats will be bursting with wine. You know what that means? Everything we need will be taken care of. How? If we honor God with what he's already given us. Give to him what is his. He will ensure that everything we need is taken care of. Right? How many of you believe that? It's easy to raise your hand, though. But do we prove it by the way we give? We'll get to that in just a second. 
So here's what I want you to, to focus on as we get into Matthew chapter 6, though. Here's what we've really got to understand from this passage to get our mind in the right place. In order to honor the Lord with our wealth, two things must take place in our minds. First, to honor God with our wealth, we've got to understand that God is greater than our wealth. Well, of course, I know that, TJ. But do you? Do you look at your wealth as merely a means by which you honor God? It's a tool, just like everything else. Or do you do what a lot of people do, look at God as a means to give you more wealth? See the difference? Honoring God with your wealth means that God is greater in your mind than your wealth. And so therefore you will use your wealth and whatever else he's given you to make much of him. That puts our wealth or our stuff in the proper perspective. The next thing that we've got to understand is that since God is greater than my wealth, everything I do with my wealth should exalt and glorify him over myself. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have a treat every now and then or, you know, what do you women like to do, like people messing with your feet and stuff. <laughs> Scraping off all that dead skin. That's disgusting. And we pampered, or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't mean we can't do those things, right? It doesn't mean we can't have those, those treats every now and then, but they must maintain the proper, and the, it must be done in the proper perspective. So, this means how I view my money and what I do with my money matters to God greatly. And so he doesn't just give it out and say, have fun with it, right? Don't blow it or I'm not going to give you any more until next week, right? Everything we do with our money matters to God. So this proverb, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, shows us the correct perspective or vision, we're going to use that word a lot tonight, vision to have concerning our money. And that's what we're going to focus on here in Matthew chapter 6. It's not enough just to store up the right kind of treasure and store it up in the right kind of place. In order for us to do that, Jesus is showing us that we've got to have the right vision of our treasures. We have to look at them through the right lenses. And let me just remind you, Jesus is building a complete thought here, right? He started with treasure, and now he's moving to our eyes, our vision of it, and then getting into our will. So last week, our treasure affects what? Our heart, right? Where your treasure is, what? Or where your heart is, there your treasure is. So our treasure or our heart affects our affections, the things that we're emotionally attached to, the things that we love. Next, Jesus is going to show us our treasures also affect our vision. And then the progression is finally in verse 24, it affects our will. So what stirs our heart determines our vision, which in turn dictates our will. That's what Jesus is building here. What stirs our heart determines our vision. And that in turn dictates our will. What we love affects what we think about, which affects what we do. That's what Jesus is telling us here. So, Matthew chapter 6, looking at verse uh, 22. Let's read uh, and see what he has to say. Let me start from the beginning because it's, it's a, a complete thought. So, 19 
Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, maybe we're tracking with Jesus in the first couple of verses. Okay, treasure, money, I get that. But then he kind of pulls a hard right here and starts talking about our eyes. What do the two have in common? Let's talk about this. What do our eyes do? See. But how does that happen? I'm trying to get all scientific on you, but how, how does that happen? What is the sole purpose or work of your eye? What does it do? Receives. Receives what? Your, the vision. Light. 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 Right. Your eye, all your eye does is determine how much light can pass through it to get into where? Your brain. Your brain then deciphers and determines what you're looking at. Isn't it cool how our brain works? Light is responsible for allowing, or, or eye, your eyes, or rather, are responsible for allowing light to enter your brain to see images. So, let's go back to what Jesus is saying. The eye is a lamp of the body. That makes sense, doesn't it? What's a lamp supposed to do? Light. Light. Your word is a lamp to my feet. The light. Right? So what does that do? It illuminates where we're supposed to go. Our eye determines what our body is allowed or able to do. Let me give you an example. If I'm walking in the woods and I see a, a fallen tree, right? My eye brings the right kind of light in to my brain to process. It says, you can't walk through that. You've got to go over it or around it, right? And so I have a decision to make with my body based on what my eye has told my brain to do. Right Now, imagine if I was blind walking through the woods and I couldn't see that tree. What would happen? Crash. Yeah. It would affect my whole body, would it not? So, what we see determines what we do. It's a very Amen. specific, very simple point. But Jesus is saying if the eye is healthy meaning if it's able to correctly diffuse light and send the proper message to our brain, then my body will be able to proceed accordingly. It'll follow it accordingly. Therefore, my whole body will be full of light. My body will do the right things. That's what Jesus is saying. However, if my eye is bad, meaning if my eye is broken, King James actually says if your eye is evil, then it affects everything else. In your body. Now, what does this have to do with treasure? Um, remember the previous passage, Jesus says our hearts are affected by our treasures, right? Our affections are stirred by our treasures. Jesus now is speaking of our eyes, which affects our understanding. The way we perceive things. Understanding play, takes place where? Where do you understand things? In your mind. In your mind right? Our heart affects us emotionally. Our minds affect us rationally, right? 
And so Jesus is saying, listen, not only are your hearts to be geared in the right place or directed in the right place towards your treasures, but also your mind, the way you perceive and understand the purpose of your treasures. So our minds is where decisions come from. Our decisions are driven a lot of times, if we're not careful, by our affections. So here's the point Jesus is making. If our hearts are drawn away from the true treasure, that is Jesus and his kingdom, if it's drawn away from those things to those temporal earthly treasures, then here's what happens. Our eye or our minds begin to get clouded. The perception begins to get skewed. We begin to look at them incorrectly, right? So here's what that means. If my heart draws my mind away, then therefore the decisions that I make begin to be the wrong decisions. You've always heard the, the phrase, just follow your heart. I don't know if we should do that. A couple reasons. The heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? But if my affections drive my decisions, then most of the time it's going to cloud the right perception. Another way of of making Jesus' point here is by saying that those who are, who are focused on earthly stuff have a clouded perspective of what truly matters in life. If our, if our eye is bad, we don't see the things that truly matter. They're clouded. Our vision is blurry. The desire to accumulate and hoard earthly treasures leads us to view those things as more important than Jesus. And that represents a clouded vision. It's kind of like this. Kind of like a, a solar eclipse. Anybody ever seen a solar eclipse? Mm-hmm. Man, I, I don't know. I was always fascinated. Like, that was a big deal when I was a kid. Like, you heard it on the news, man. I always wanted to see it. You know, a lot of times it always happened in school and you couldn't get out there. A solar eclipse is what? What happens in a solar eclipse? The moon, the moon, out the sun. The moon lines up perfectly with the sun and blocks the sun out. But here's something interesting about a solar eclipse. Did you know that the sun is about 714 times bigger yeah. than the moon? Mm-hmm. It's huge. One scientist, I don't know if they've done the math correctly or not, but you could fit 72 million moons in the sun. That's how much bigger the sun is from the moon. But in a solar eclipse... Just the right time and just the right way, that little bitty moon that's 714 times smaller than the sun lines up perfectly and blocks out the bigger, greater thing. And now, does that mean that for that moment that the moon got bigger than the sun? No. What does it mean? In that moment, from our vision to the sun, our vision of the sun was skewed. Our perspective or our perception of things was knocked off. And so this is what Jesus is saying here. If your eye is bad, if your eye is evil, if our perspective on our treasure is clouded, then we look at the much smaller thing and we make it bigger than the big thing. That's what Jesus is saying. You have eclipsed the greatness of the true treasure with the smaller, less significant treasures of the earthly stuff. That's what he's saying. 
you are clouded and your vision is not correct and therefore your perception of those things is not right. So the question here we've got to ask ourselves tonight, what is our perception and understanding of our earthly treasures? How do we view them? Do we see them correctly? Do we see them as necessary, beneficial, but temporary? Do we see them as we should? Or are we allowing those temporal treasures to get in the way of the true treasure who is Jesus and block Him out? We need to ask God to help us see the truth of that this evening. Last week we uh, talked about why it's so dangerous to have our affections stirred and our hearts drawn away from the true treasure that is Jesus. Do you remember why that was so dangerous? What does it, what does it make us? Idolaters, right? If we pursue a treasure other than Jesus and we hold him, that higher than Him, we've committed idolatry, right? Here, in this passage, Jesus shows us another danger of misplaced value of our stuff. And, and it's a danger of an unregenerated heart. Let's talk about what that is. And let me, I want to state this very clearly. Misguided perception of earthly treasure is a symptom of a heart that has not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by an un unregenerate heart? Regeneration is a theological term that basically means born again. Right? Made new. John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says what? How do I get there, right? Basically. How do I get there? Sir, you're, you're a prophet, I know. And what, is, what does Jesus say? Truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. Of course, that blows Nicodemus' mind. How does an old man go back into the womb again? He says, you don't understand. You've got to be born not of just of water, but of the Spirit. When we get saved, there's got to be a new birth. And it's termed regeneration. Titus chapter 3, Paul actually uses the word regeneration when he talks about our salvation. He says, we are saved by the washing of regeneration. So we are cleaned up in our heart and we are made new. Now, here's how I know that regeneration means born again. The condition of our hearts are seen clearest through the actions that our mind lead us to. Let me, let me say that again. The way that we pursue our treasure, the way that we see our treasure, is greatly contingent upon the condition of our hearts because the condition of our hearts are seen clearest through the actions that our mind lead us to. Eventually, what's in here always comes out, right? It always comes out. Flip over to Matthew chapter 12. I want to show you some scriptures that, uh, that prove this point. Matthew chapter 12, verses uh, 34 through 35. is to what Jesus is saying. He's talking to the Pharisees. You brood of vipers. Man, that's a nice term, isn't it? You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his, I want you to get this, out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth 
evil. Pay very close attention to what he said there. He's making a strong statement. He says, why do you think you can speak good things from an evil heart? Why do you think that can happen? Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's in here and the condition of here is shown by what comes out here. And the good person speaks what is good, not because their heart is good, but because they have a good, what? Treasure. The thing that they value the most captivates their heart and therefore determines how they think, which leads to how they act and what they say. And he says, what makes you think that you can produce good things from the heart that's in you? Because it's evil. And notice what he says, the good treasure. Folks, what's the only good treasure? We talked about it last week. Jesus. It's why you hear me say, and he says this in Luke chapter 18 when the rich young ruler comes to him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So, so you've heard me talk about this before. You know, we can do noble things. We can do honorable things. But the only way we can do good things from a biblical definition is through the power of God for the glory of God. Only those things done through the power of God for the glory of God are considered good things. And so, let me give you another, another example of this because this is important. Go to Romans uh, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us a very clear explanation of what the mind of an unregenerate person does. Romans 8, uh, verses 5 through 8. So let me go to verse 4. Um, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. It's death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here's what we see. To live according to the flesh is to be fleshly minded. Right? We've been talking about the mind. Only focused on the here and now. Things that are sensual. Things that benefit me and my body. Right? That is fleshly thinking. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And so Paul says those who live that way set their minds on the things of the flesh and those who set their minds on the flesh reap death. Living in a fleshly way, operating in a skewed mind, always leads to death. We cannot please God in our flesh. Okay? So the danger that we've got to recognize is that pursuing earthly treasures and accumulating and emphasizing material things over Jesus makes us not only idolaters, but shows us that our heart has not been captivated by the Gospel. We may understand the Gospel, but man, our heart has not been given over fully to it. Because when the Gospel has completely captivated you and saturated you, every area of your life, heart, soul, mind, and strength, is drawn into the treasure that is Jesus. 
Does that mean that we won't mess up sometimes? Sure. But the point is that when we have fully been captivated by the gospel, the desire of not only our heart, but also our mind, is to make Jesus more important than anything and everything else. That's the point here. And so here's, here's what we see. Setting our minds on things that are directly contradictory to God, those earthly things, makes us hostile towards God. We don't want anything to do with God. We want those things over it. And he says that we reap death. And so now what we have is not just an idolatry issue, we have an eternal issue on our hands concerning our treasure. Now we understand the, the significance of what Jesus said last week. Where your treasure is, your heart is. Because where our treasure is and our perception of our treasure will tell us where we'll spend eternity. One more example. Luke chapter 18. I mentioned it just a second ago. Very difficult passage, but necessary. You don't have to turn there. I'll just kind of go to kind of tell you the story. Rich young ruler comes up to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What does he say? You know the commandments. To which the young ruler sticks out his chest and says, not all them. And he says, one thing, and I love the way he, what he says, the choice of wording. He says, there's one thing that you lack. This was a man who was rich, who didn't lack anything. And Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. And what was it? Go sell all that you have. All this stuff that you've amassed and accumulated, get rid of it. Sell it. Why? Not just to get rid of all your stuff. Sell it so that you may have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And what was the man's reaction? He hung his head. And he went away sad. And here's why. Because he was very rich. And so Jesus' answer, and look, here's the thing, man. This is something that I've noticed about Jesus that's kind of rocking my world right now, and I'm trying to think through this. Jesus didn't run him down. And Jesus didn't say, look, man, you must have misunderstood me. Jesus let him walk away sad. And he said, it's very hard for the rich to get into heaven. For the rich man to get into heaven because he had money? Here's why it was hard for him to get into heaven. Why it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for this man to get into heaven. Because this man thought he could get into heaven by adding to what he already had. Listen to what he says. What else, what else do I need to do? What else do I need to get? And Jesus said, look, it's not about what you get. It's about what you can give away for me. So that when you have nothing left, I'm your treasure. That was the point. And he went away sad because it wasn't about what he could give up. It what else could he get? And so the point is this. When we desire, when the desire of our heart and the drive of our mind is to only accumulate and amass treasure here, we can't see the true treasure that is Jesus. And it means that the gospel has not penetrated every area of our life. So here's my prayer for us tonight. Is that God in His grace, because it is an act of grace, would love us enough to show us, to show us not only where our heart is, but where is our mind concerning our treasure. How do we think about it?
we think about what we have, what comes to mind? Pride? Greed? Selfishness? What, what comes to mind when you think about your stuff? Is our vision clouded by the pursuit of these temporal things? Maybe you're here and you, you think, man, you know what? I can do both. I can do both. I'm going to work hard so that when I get done working hard, I'm going to be able to sow seeds for Jesus in retirement, right? I'll do 30 years of accumulating and amassing stuff, and I'll spend the remaining whatever I have left, right? Making my treasure Jesus. Maybe, maybe we think that. I think, I think I think that way, right? Get, 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 get now. I'm young. That's what you're supposed to do when you're young. You're supposed to work. Let's get stuff, right? And you guys have heard this story. Some of you have. Man, 30 was hard for me. Like when I turned 30, I, I had a hard time. And here's why. I had this thing in my mind that by the time I hit 30, I was supposed to be established, man. Right? I, I was supposed to, have, you know, set my heels in and I'm supposed to be somebody. I'm supposed to have this thing down pat by now, right? That's what I kind of thought. And what I realized is when I hit 30, I didn't have a clue, just like I didn't have a clue when I was 20, right? It was still an act of God that my bills were paid. It was still, you know, an act of God that I did my job well, you know, and I started to think, man, is this how my life is going to be? Constant, and this is funny, this is coming from a pastor, constant dependence on God for everything. That's what I was thinking, and I was struggling with that. God, I ought to be able to have it figured out by now. Oh, how foolish I was. You see, what I was trying to do was move from a state of dependence on God to independence. And what I realized is that, man, I can have billions of dollars. I can have billions of dollars, every bill paid for. I can own everything, and I, you know, I can be debt-free and all that. And I can be just as evil and miserable. Yeah. As if I couldn't pay my bills tomorrow. It doesn't have anything to do with my money. It has everything to do with how I see it. And what I do with it. But maybe you're here and you believe, man, my heart is big enough to do both. Maybe I can amass and amass and amass and then I can make my treasure Jesus. And here's what I just want to tell you very lovingly. It's a lie. And it's not coming from me. It's coming from Jesus. Look at verse 24 of Matthew 6. <clears throat> Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And if there's any confusion about what he's talking about, here's how he ends it. <coughs> you cannot serve God and money. Can't do it. Now, no one can serve two masters. Our loyalties can never truly be divided and equal. Get that? You can never divide your loyalties equally. Jesus says, we're not made that way. And I think it would be very wise on our part to take the advice of the one who created us and knows what we're capable of doing. And if he says you can't do it, we can't do it. 
And so he says, here's what you've got to decide. Which one are you going to love? Which one are you going to be devoted to? Because whichever one you love, you're going to hate the other. Whichever one you're devoted to, you're going to despise the other. I thought that was an interesting word too. Despise. If I love money, if I'm devoted to money, I'm going to despise God. And this kind of brings up something that I hear a lot. And I think some of it's brought up in jest, and I've thought through this a lot. And people ask me, well, you know, TJ, what if I win the lottery? And I want to give 10% of it to the church. Would y'all take it? Yeah. Absolutely we would take it. You know why? Because there's a lot of the glory of God that can be brought about by that money. Right? Well, that's, that's dirty money. You know what? What you do with it makes it dirty. People go, will you take it? Yes, I'll take it in a minute. Why? Because God can receive glory through that. But you know what? You know what I always immediately say that to that? But that will never happen. Why? You don't think I win the lottery? No, it's not that. It's that I know that if your desire is to play the lottery that much, your desire is not to give it all away. Think about it. If my desire is so strong for money that I'm willing to gamble what I already have in order to get more, my loyalties are divided, Jesus said. And so I'm not going to amass and amass and amass just to give it all away, right? Jesus says that's not how the human heart works. We cannot serve both God and money. So the question is this. Um, people say, well, you know, what if God gives you money to give it all away? Well, he'll give it to you then. But here's the question. Are you giving away what you already have now? Amen. You see, who who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. Many of us, many of us don't have a giving heart, period. And I'm there, man. I'm wrestling with that right now. I work hard for what I got. Right? Failing to see that it's all a gift from God anyway. And so the question is, man, am I faithful with what he's already given me? And I know this is a big deal. It's a big deal for us. Even in the church, it's a big deal. for We, we have a building over there that we're paying for. It's a big deal. I get it. It's a big deal. And we must be good stewards with what God has given us. But it cannot, it cannot eclipse the greater treasure who is Jesus. Let me tell you something. The minute we as a church become about paying our bills, our loyalty has become money. And it's moved away from the true thing that we're supposed to pursue, which is Jesus. So, here's the thing. And we'll close with this. Um, Tonight, what what we've got to do in our heart first is we've got to get serious and allow God to really show us what's in our heart. Because maybe we don't know what our heart looks like. Right? Maybe, maybe we, we don't know that we, we value money as much as we, we do. Right? Well, I'm no different than anybody else. But maybe tonight the Lord is kind of revealing some things to us and showing us that the desires of our heart, man, it is really drawn towards our stuff more than the treasure that is Jesus. The desires of our heart affects our minds and what we pursue. And whatever we pursue and value becomes, as Jesus said, our master. So what your heart dwells on and what your mind thinks about will ultimately become 
who you serve or what you serve. And so I, I pray, my prayer is that for myself and also for, for you guys is that we see this dependence on money and gaining earthly stuff. It's not just a, a cultural issue, right? It's not just a harmless you know, mistake or it's not just a harmless thing. It has eternal consequences for us. And so the question is, what do we do about it? Here's the application part of the sermon. What do we do about it? If God has shown you, man, maybe, maybe you place too much emphasis on, on your stuff. I, I think the, the best thing we can do, the, the best start, is uh, put Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 into practice. Honor God with what you have. How do you do that? How do you do it? Give it away. Well, does that mean I need to go live in a box? No. But you honor God with what you have, not yourself. That means that everything from our tithe all the way to the last dime we spend on our groceries should go to honor God. You know what I found at my house? We waste a lot. A lot. I mean, I, I, I do. I don't like leftovers, man. I'm struggling with that. It's in there more than like a day. I don't, I don't know. I don't trust it. <laughs> but I think what it really is is I just don't want any leftovers because I had it a day or two days earlier, right? And it's waste. We throw food away like crazy. When, when we come back from the grocery store, it's put the groceries up and then clean out the refrigerator so we can put our groceries in there. And we waste. And, and so I have to ask myself, man, I've done some repenting today, man. Am I honoring God with my wealth when I throw away all the stuff that I throw away? Because I see it. I'm guilty of sin. And so we've got to start by honoring God with our money. But not just our money. Our time, our talents, the way God has gifted us. And you know what? You have what you have for a particular purpose. And it's to make much of Jesus with. And so are you doing that? Are you honoring God with what he has given to you? I got work to do. And you probably do too. And so let me pray for us. That God in his grace will help us do that. Because I, I, here's what I believe. Yeah, you know, The church is under a microscope anyway, right? And we're criticized and judged. Man, for the good things we do. The things we do right. And man, we're just a huge target for our culture when we don't do what the Bible says, right? The Bible says honor God with your wealth. Honor God with your first fruits. So man, let's start there. Let's see what God does. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you this evening, and Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shows us... Um, Lord, the areas in our life that um, maybe are not completely handed over to you. And Lord, we make excuses and we say, well, it's because of this and because of that. But Lord, in our heart, we know it's because we're holding on to that stuff a little too tightly. We're like, a, like the kid who put his hand in the cookie jar and couldn't get his hand out because he wouldn't let go of the cookie. And Lord, we do that with clenched fist, holding tightly to the things that you have promised to give us. 
you said you would always provide if we honored you with what you have already provided. And so, Father, I pray that the, the way that we would begin to see our, our treasure in the right way is, first of all, by seeing those things in comparison to the true treasure, who is Jesus. And Lord, I believe that when we have tasted and seen, when we truly understand who Jesus is, these things that we accumulate and amass for ourselves, they, they do become less. Lord, I pray that when we see Jesus as the true treasure that He is, then we will just allow the Holy Spirit to speak louder than the culture in which we live that says you've got to get and get and get and hold and hold and hold. And it's all about how much your 401k has at the end. And it's all about what you can retire comfortably on. Lord, I pray that you would save the church from that. Because, Father, you have promised us that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Lord, as we'll see next week, that even the lilies and the birds, Lord, they don't want for anything. And how much more do you love us than those things? And so, Father, help us to trust you. Lord, not just with our soul, but with our pocketbook with our homes, with the talents that you have entrusted to us. And may we use them, Father, for your glory and to make much of your son Jesus in this time that we have left. Lord, there's nothing else in this world that matters. I can be the best preacher in the world and still bring dishonor to your name when I don't make you the treasure of my life. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would move on your church change us if need be, rebuke us, correct us, Lord meet us with grace and mercy as you always do, and Lord may we, the changes that are made in our life, Lord be, Lord not just for your glory but for our good, as we begin to live this life that is completely consumed with you, we love you tonight, we pray these things in Christ's name, amen.